Hey, y'all. What's up, everybody? Black People Parenting. This is the second installment of our Talk About It Thursday. Uh, also, I guess this will be the second episode of the Black People Parenting podcast. Of course, you know me, Showtime, Mr. Talk of the Town, depending on where you know me from. You might know me as Dion, but I'm also the founder and uh, chief executive brain thought pattern maker behind black people parenting also the one who dumps out the trash and cleans the toilets i do whatever they need me to do uh when it comes to black people parenting but uh just here to talk about autism uh april is autism acceptance month uh autism acceptance month and i think it's a very important topic it's a very important subject that we talk about uh, because we don't hear a lot of discussions about autism we don't hear a lot of discussions about autism particularly uh, autism particularly in the black community um, and just, you know, my story, I don't know if everyone knows, but uh, last month, my youngest, who is three years old, was diagnosed with autism. So I thought it was especially important that we have a conversation about um, autism and about uh, all things uh, autism and color, like how we can look at autism and color and the importance of looking at autism through the lens of uh, parents of color and children of color and how what we can do to be sure that we're getting everything that we need and we're getting all of the services that we need and we're uh, making sure that we are getting the funding that we need for programs. So I believe a lot of those things start on a grassroots level. Uh, and I believe that my uh, duty in all of this is to bring as much awareness to autism and to bring uh, a much aware as much awareness to ASD, autism spectrum disorder, as I possibly can. So I wanted to have this conversation with two folks who are uh, also autism parents. They, they both have children who are on the spectrum. Um, so everyone here uh, has experience with autism, has experience with uh, children with autism. And I just wanted us to have a discussion. I wanted us to have a conversation about uh, the things that we need to do, the things that we can do and the things that we uh, have been through just as parents. And, 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 and you know, a, a lot of our stories are similar, uh, but every child who's on the spectrum, as we all know, is different. So uh, I want to, to to bring my two esteemed guests uh, up to the microphone. I'll start by introducing them and I'll let them tell you a little bit about who they are and uh, what they do. First guest is Brienne Middlebrooks. Brienne is a uh, a mother of two, correct, Brie? Yes. Brie, her, she has two girls. Her oldest is 16. She'll be 17 in se September. <laughs> and her youngest, Berkeley, is three. Yep. Right. Okay. So, so, so Brie and I, we have that in common. We both have uh, teenagers and toddlers who are in the same age range. My oldest is 16. Uh, she'll be 17 in June. My youngest is three. Uh, his birthday is on Valentine's Day. So uh, Bree and I, we, we share a lot of experiences when it comes to uh, parenting. And Bree, quite as kept, Bree is, 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 might be partially responsible for Black people parenting because it came from conversations that she and I had about our struggles uh, as parents that I say, yo, like this is a this is something that needs to be talked about because there are so many parents who are struggling, but they don't have a village to to lean on. Right. Yeah. So there will be times that I'll be going through something, um, you know, with my oldest and I would, you know, me and Bree would 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 get in a DM and we I'd be like, Bree, like you ain't gonna believe it. Like you, <laughs> like this, this one right here, like this. <laughs> Man. We're like one, one up in each other. <laughs> right, right, right. At one point, we were like one up in each other. So that's what kind of opened my eyes to say that there needs to be more conversations amongst uh, amongst us, amongst Black folks about parenting and uh, uh, amongst 
uh, uh, people of color about how we can be the best parents that we can be because we're all in this fight together. So, uh, Bree, thank you for coming on. It is a pleasure to have you here. Definitely looking forward to thank you for uh, this conversation. Um, also on the panel, we have Tracy Van Hawking. Now, Tracy is the founder of Thriving on the Spectrum LLC. Tracy is uh, the mother of Tracy. How many kids you got? Three. We have three all together. My oldest is my bonus son, and then okay. Audrey's nineteen. And then we have James Preston, who is six, and Adam, who will be five next month or in two weeks. Okay. Okay. All boys. All boys. Mm, mm, it's a joy, ain't it? It's a joy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and two of your sons are on the spectrum, correct? Correct. James Preston oh. and Adam, the youngest two are on the spectrum. Right, 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 right. And you also have, uh, we'll dive into more in a, a little bit later. You've also created, like I said, found, found you are the founder of Thriving on the Spectrum LLC. So we'll talk about exactly what that is and and why why you found the need to um to create that organization and who you're servicing and exactly all of the dope things. So we've had conversations about um, the things that you've got on the horizon. So I definitely want to talk about uh, all of the dope things that you all are are, are doing with your organization and uh, how we can help you, because I think, you know, what you're doing is needed. And I want to be sure that folks know how uh, how we can serve you because you're doing really, really good work um, with this project. So we'll talk about that in just a bit. But uh, now that we've done our introductions, I've done my due diligence. Let's get down to the fact of the matter. Let's talk about the business at hand. Um, autism. So, Tracy, help me out. I want to come up with a working definition. What is autism spectrum disorder? Because a lot of folks, we've heard about it, but we don't necessarily know um, what it is. So let, let's let's come up as a group. What is what is autism spectrum disorder? So simply put, I mean, it's a neurodevelopmental disorder, right, that really shows, I would say, the, the hallmark or uh, characteristics of the disorder really kind of presents itself in the way that kids socially and socially interact and, and uh, communicate uh, verbally. Uh, so you may see some, as we know, within the community, we always say, you know, one person with autism, you know, one person with autism. So I do not speak in broad strokes when it comes to talking about any of our uh, autistic kids and adults, but um, some kids have, you, you may start to see the signs um, typically before the age of three. And I think it just manifests itself differently. So even within my two boys, the way it manifests itself within Adam is quite different in James Preston. James Preston um, manifests itself more so behaviorally. Um, he's very rigid in a routine and schedule. Mm -hmm. uh, Adam, I would say it has a bit more of kind of like that classical presentation that, you know, when you when I studied uh, clinical psychology back in under or graduate school, that one page that they had about autism, you know, that's that was kind of how um, in the beginning when when Adam hit 16 months, I started really seeing that regression. And, you know, he went two to three months without speaking. He would kind of say one word to give me enough hope and faith to kind of move on and keep going. Um, and there'll be another two or three months before we would have another word. Um, so kind of simply put, it's just, you know, our kids and our adults and members within our artistic community are just wired differently. And it's not to stay in a negative way or, or anything, because I think we all are, right? But we know that within our kids on the spectrum, there's just some challenges that present themselves a little differently. And there's a little more work that has to be done in really kind of helping our kids really grow and develop. 
right? Um, for James Preston, he really had to be taught how to play. Um, every toy that would kind of be presented to him, it was a drum, right? He didn't really understand the fullness of play. But Adam, not so, um, not the case. He understood play and learned play, but he had really trouble verbally and then also interacting with peers. So simply put, that is what autism is. <laughs> Yeah. And, and I think that's I think you said a mouthful when you say that if you know one person on the spectrum, then, you know, one person on the spectrum. I think all of our experiences um, are different. Right. I think I think, you know, autism and that's why they call it a spectrum, because there is a broad range of uh, sides and spaces and places that, that 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 someone could be on if they're on that spectrum. Now, Brie, I know you are, your, Berkeley was diagnosed, it hasn't been a year, right? It hasn't been no, a year. No, no, no. It's only been a few months. The official diagnosis came in January. So right. um, she did the assessment back in October um, and we waited. She turned three in November. And, um, you know, I, I grew up and I had a little cousin and I, I'll never forget. I remember the first time I heard about autism was I was watching the Montel Williams show. Mm -hmm. And they had a kid and they were just explaining some of the like the characteristics of autism, autistic kids. And I was like, I told my my older cousin, I said, hey, I think I think my uh, your son is autistic. Like these are some of the things that he does. Um, so she took him to the doctor and we knew like he didn't speak. Um, and, you know, he would do like the stimming and stuff like that. So they did, you know, officially diagnose him with autism. So I grew up having a younger cousin with autism. So and I work in the medical field, so I've dealt with children that are autistic. So I was I was familiar with it. So when I saw when I noticed Berkeley started regressing right around like 18 months, um, she was saying words and then she just I just noticed she wasn't saying as much. And um, then I was like, I, I really think, you know, Berkeley has some characteristics. She was playing by herself. Now, me as a parent, you know, I don't mind, you know, you're not jumping on the couch. You're just playing and hanging out. But then I just noticed she would rather and it would be a whole bunch of kids, but she would rather be off by herself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I started questioning it. I brought it to her um her pediatrician and she was like, well, no, she makes great eye contact. I don't think she is. Let's just, let's just watch it. Wow. So I'm like, mm, I don't, you know, always, always the big thing that I tell parents always go with your gut, you know, listen, listen to your gut. And that's what I did. And then we started getting some, um, some other, you know, resources. And then we finally got the the assessment done through the school district and it's been um she she goes to speech therapy now and she goes to the school the na the neighborhood school and she's just i mean she's flourishing it's it's been really good yeah and there's so many things that i want to unpack just with that statement right. right um number one and we'll talk about like the importance of advocating for our children i want to talk about that a little bit later so i want to put a pin in that and come back to um, how we can advocate for our children, because a lot of times people will tell us that we don't know what's going on. But like Bree said, we go you go with your gut um, and, and and people will tell you that you don't know what you know. And you're like, nah, I I know my child. I, I know something's up. Um, and I think uh, that can be a deterrent for a lot of people 
to get the help and get the services that they need. Uh, so let, I want to talk about some statistics. So one in 54 children in the United States are living with autism disorder, autism spectrum disorder uh, right now. And a lot of studies suggest that children should start being screened for autism between 24 and 36 months. Right. Yet some studies suggest that on average, black children don't get diagnosed until around the uh, they're about five and a half years old. Why do you think, and Tracy, we'll start with you. Why do you think that so many of us wait for so long to have our children tested for autism spectrum disorder? Well, I think there's a number of different variables, right? Um, I can speak for myself um, and then just other parents I've spoken to. We don't see that many parents of color talking about it, right? So there are a lot of emotions really kind of wrapped up into a diagnosis uh, of autism, right? Um, you have the guilt, you have the shame, um, uh, kind of denial that is associated with it all. Um, you begin dragging your feet because you feel like other friends and family members kind of will quickly put the behaviors or characteristics to something else, right? For us, it was, oh, we're their boys. And sometimes boys kind of uh, go into the terrible twos a little sooner than girls, right? Or, oh, it just takes boys a little longer to mature. Or, oh, kids, they, you know, they'll kind of pick up language on their own. And just as Bree was saying, the thing that I tell parents as well is, Trust your gut because that's really going to be your North Star within this whole journey, right? Um, so, yeah, I think the more that we have our, our parents of color talking about autism and, and giving the, the statistics and encouraging parents to, to go and get their children diagnosed and assessed early, it just makes it all the better, right? We know that early intervention is key. Uh, the ability for these therapies, uh, speech therapy, occupational therapy, and others to really start early um, and not late. We know that great strides, just as Bree was saying, her daughter is flourishing now, right? To be able to go in and really have that one-on-one -on -one working to, again, kind of get those wires going, to get the, the, the things going in the brain. Because we know kids develop at all you know, different times and, and on their own, but our, our kids need a little assistance in getting there. Uh, and it's okay, right? I also think, that there's a lot of myths and misconceptions associated with the disorder, um, that it's easier to just not even have to go into all of that and just kind of put that on the back burner, stay in your denial and keep putting it to everything else. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. I think another um, dynamic to it as well is uh, trusting our providers. Sometimes I feel like we put too much trust into our providers. So, you know, if they say, oh, it's nothing, just don't worry about it. And then you're like, okay, well, the doctor knows best. You know, I don't, I'm not a doctor, so I'm just going to go by what they're saying. So I think that also, especially like us as, um, you know, in the black community, you know, with maternal health and, you know, things like that, it's so important because, where a lot of times we aren't believed, you know, and so we, we could be telling people stuff and they're like, oh, she doesn't know what she's saying. She's just, you know, I know I've been this, I saw a page in my medical school book with this and she doesn't fit this exact criteria. Mm -hmm. So I think um, that goes back to just always trusting yourself. If you feel like something's, you know, not something is off, always go with it. It'll never hurt to to look into something, you know, I've had a lot of people come to me, you know, when I decided to come out and say, Berkeley's autistic, they're like, I don't know if my kid is, I was like, well, 
always look into it. It'll never hurt. What it'll do? They'll just either say yes, let's monitor it or no, you know? So um, I think that's a big part of it is with providers um, just trusting them too much, a little too much. You know, it's, it's okay to question what they say. You should question what they say. Don't ever just, oh yeah, they, that's what they told me. So that's what I'm going by. No, do your research, question you know, what they have to say and really, you know, talk about it and communicate. It's it's super important. Yeah. And, you know, just in, in, in recent years, I'm sorry, Tracy, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think Brie brings up an excellent point. And when you think about the accessibility to providers and where people are geographically and being able to get the necessary help and assessments, I had no idea there was such thing as a developmental pediatrician. Right. Right. And going to our pediatrician and she was very open and honest. She says, well, I don't think it is, you know, but I have to be honest, like we didn't really study autism in medical school. Like we had like maybe one class that screening. And if you go, if you pass the screening, you're good. Right. Right. And like you said, it was that gut, that feeling like, uh, like a granola bar broke and my child just broke down for 20 minutes. Like, right. Right. is that okay? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, I think that's a great point. Another thing that I was going to say, I, I think it's important. And I, and I realize that everyone doesn't have um, this luxury, but I think for me and my family, we are strong proponents of having um, black service providers. Right. So mm-hmm. for me, I've made it a, a, a mission, even like for me personally, all of my service providers are black women. Like, I don't I don't want to go to anybody for any type of medical service. My dentist is black. My uh, PCP is black. Um, uh, 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 Maceo's, my son's, uh, uh, um, his uh, pediatrician is black. Um, the only person who is not black uh, is his um, his uh, occupational therapist. Right. Um, but if we could if we could find one, you best believe that we, <laughs> we you right. know, what I mean. Um, so I think, you know, black folks know black folks best. And that's just my personal opinion. Um, and I think we have our best interests at heart. So I think we have to do uh, as much as we can, like Bree said, to, to, to go with our gut, because there's so much um, out there where people will just brush you off. And Bree, like you said, you work in the medical field. So I want to I want to kind of tap into what can folks do on the other side to kind of curb. Uh, that mistrust, right? Because when you look at things like uh, the infant mortality rate, when you look at things like uh, uh, the, the number of women who died during childbirth, like Black right. folks lead all of those statistics. So right. what what can we do to, to 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 curve that so we can kind of get on the other side and have people uh, when we go into these offices that believe us and that trust us and that know uh, what they're talking about when it comes to us and our babies? I think what's most important is you know, do your research. So, and when you, when you hear this information, the infant mortality rate, the maternal, you know, importance, do more research. Don't just, you know, if you see it on Instagram, just repost it and you're just like, wow, that's sad. Do, you know, do research, look into it, see what's going on, see these studies, read, you know, read, um, educate yourself. Um, Because when you're not educated about whatever, it's, that's room for anybody to come in and tell you anything. And, and they're going to do it. They're going to come up with whatever. And they're like, she'll believe me, you know? And, and a lot of doctors, like that's what, that's how they diagnose things. They do process of elimination. It's not, 
you know, they're just like, oh, well, they have this, so it can't be this. That's that's how doctors diagnose. So I think just educating yourself is so important, educating your family. I know um, just us as a black community, we've grown up, you know, throughout generations. It's just whatever, whatever they say, just don't question it. Don't bring no attention to us. Don't, you know, you don't want to be that angry black woman. You don't want to pray about it. Just pray about it. So you just have to, but I think, and that's what I'm really trying to do. I'm trying to break those generational curses that we have. And, you know, it's, it's stuff that's embedded in our DNA. You know, a lot of times, sometimes I'll get, you know, a little frustrated with Berkeley when she's, you know, stimming. I'm like, what are you screaming about? But then I just have to, you know, realize this isn't just bad behavior. This is because she's overwhelmed. She's overstimulated and she has to get it out some way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, you know, if like if my grandmother was still alive, she would probably like, that's just her bad behavior. She just need a whooping, you know, like she just need to sit down. And that's just that. So I think just breaking those things and really just being aware that they're there. We have to first acknowledge them, acknowledge those issues, and then we can address them. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you know we keep sweeping it under rug like we love to do, we won't get anywhere. You know, right. so I think that's very important. Educating yourself, communication with other people. Hey, I didn't feel like you know. What do you think about this? How do you feel about this? You know, communicating and talking because somebody might have another point of view. You know, we all, all three of us have. Uh, excuse me, autistic children, but we all have different experiences and we can all learn from that, you know? So I think it's just communication and being open, not being shamed of, you know, your, what your child has or, or things like that. So I think that's super important, just communication and educating yourself. Yeah. Somebody in the comments said that their grandfather used to think any baby that cried had colic. <laughs> like, yep. that's, not, that's, that's not it. <laughs> that's, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's not the right. answer, Grandpa. Like, right. I, you know, I, I love you and everything, but that ain't it. Like, that's a lot of stuff going on. They did a study with um, grandparents because they said, um, you know, grandparents have like these old wives' tales, and you do this and do that, and and they were like harming children because of the things that oh, I was taught that, so that's mm-hmm. what I'm supposed to do. Just put but some onions really, in his socks; he'll stop crying. Right, right. It's not, it's not good. It's not mm-hmm. healthy. We gotta, mm-hmm. we gotta really do something. You know, <laughs> right. some real so work that needs to be done. Yeah. Right. So, so. <laughs> yeah. Black folks have come up with some crazy stuff. Some of it works. Right, right, right. Some, some stuff works, but some stuff you just like, come on now. Yeah. Like, come on. Come, come on. <laughs> yeah. You put some garlic under my pillow and you think that's gonna stop me from <laughs> like no, that's that's not it. That's not it. Right. Um now, now Bree, you and I, uh, again, like I said, our, our journeys parallel a little bit. I think I think my son's um screening came before Berkeley's, if I'm not mistaken. I think we went through the screening process a little bit sooner. So I want to talk a little bit about our journey um, um, with with getting Maceo finally diagnosed. Uh, Like you said, at 18 months, we noticed that he had started to uh, regress a little bit. Like there were words that he would say. I think Maceo's first words were uh, was the dog's name. And yeah. he, he would say the dog's name faithfully. And he would just call her name, call, like wake up in the morning, roll over in the bed, call her. And I'm thinking like, all right, well, he, you know, he getting, he rocking and rolling. Right. But then all of a sudden, like he just went back and he wouldn't say her name. Like he wouldn't say anything. So finally at about 18 months, we went to uh, his pediatrician. I think it might've been his 18, 18 month checkup. 
And we said, hey, like we, you know, we have some concerns. Uh, There's some concerns about his speech. We don't feel like he is um, speaking as fluently as he should be. We don't feel like he is up to speed. And his pediatrician was right on. And she was like, well, you know, I can't you know, we can't diagnose anything right now, but let's go ahead and get him screened. Let me set you up with the people who do a free screening. They'll 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 screen him for free. Um, They'll come out to your home. And those folks came out and they did an assessment. And when they did the assessment for us, it was an eye opener because there were certain areas, his expressive and his receptive communication where he was so delayed. Right. Where he was at 18 months. I think he might have been at like. He might have had like the communication skills of an eight or nine month old. I can't. But it was very, very far behind. And it was like, wow. Yeah. But those are things that you don't know if you don't go through the steps of getting your children screen. But but a lot of us, we're so scared of what the results are going to be. Or we just say, oh, they're going to grow out of it. Or like Tracy said, it's just boys going to be boys. Uh, so, Tracy, I want to ask you, what do you think are some of the issues that can be caused when we wait too late to have our children screen? Well, we are we are kind of extending that gap right between our kids of color and their counterparts. Right. Mm-hmm. So we know that our counterparts are starting early. Right. We know that they're getting their kids screened 12 months. Right. <laughs> uh, go ahead and start those interventions. Um, And the way it was put to me by one of my dear, dear uh, mentors from graduate school, actually, he says, every day that you delay having your son screen is another day you're delaying in his future development. And I Mm. thought, oh, shoot. (laughs) Hey, whoa, that resonated with me, right? It's nothing profound. I mean, we know that the, the time and where I was emotionally and still kind of thinking all about you know, my emotions, what this was going to mean for his future. Meanwhile, I'm not even thinking about him. I'm not even right. mm-hmm. I prayed and begged for that was born after three miscarriages. I was like, he is never going to want for anything. Here he is now um, wanting for like, you know, needing that that yeah. assistance and, and uh, support. Um, so, yeah, I just think that we, we just put our, our kids further behind. Um, and we know that we're our kids, I mean, compared to, again, their counterparts, I mean, education and reading and math and all that science, we, we can't, we can't afford, um, for one more thing to keep our kids behind. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I think what you said is very important because that stigma that comes with it is it's literally crippling us and it's literally, um, setting our young people behind because we are so afraid of what, uh, people might say about us or what people might think about us or how they might they might feel about us. But we have to realize that it's it's it, you know, once you have that child or once you can see that child is no longer about you, it's about what that child needs and getting them every single thing they need to be healthy, happy and whole. And also making sure that they have everything they need to help them succeed in life. And I think a lot of us, we get so caught up in uh, the label. And that was one thing about us. Like we didn't care about the label. Like, I don't, I don't care what you call it. You could call it Jiminy crickets. Right. What does my boy need? Right. right. Like, I don't right. care. I don't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So we right. never, ever, ever got caught up in that label. Once you know, he started receiving services and, um, he started going, you know, going to, to therapy and all of those things. It was like, all right, cool. Like uh, if, if it's autism and that's what it is, but what are we going to do on our end just to be sure that he has everything that he needs? And I think a lot of us, uh, we fall short of that because we are so concerned about what the what 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 the neighbors are going to say or what 
our, our mom and them are gonna say if we yeah even our family most mainly it's our family you know because family. they're they're just like oh he fine you mm-hmm. know he mm-hmm. he he bad it's, it it'll go away you know and then you know we worry it, it's you know but I'm I'm to the point like I'm a mama bear if you know Berkeley is we we trying to potty train but she's not potty trained hmm. but i have that's you a know, word that's a word from the lord right there i have some older aunties oh she's still in that pull up yes she is and say something. Say, say something, something. <laughs> you know so i don't I, you know i don't i don't play that you know so you also have to stand up you i i, I tell i tell my wife this like when when berkeley got diagnosed it's it's nothing to to stress about. It's going to be a stressful journey for sure. But Berkeley is first and foremost, that's our priority. Um, We are her advocate. Like this is, I was like, so whatever we feel, you know, what makes Berkeley happy and what's good for her, then that's that everything else and whoever else can fall to the wayside. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's just that, you know, so you have to, you have to be strong and, you know, understand it, it's going to take some thick skin because people are going to have, you know, something to say, even if, you know, Berkeley was this perfect kid and speaking six languages at two and, you know, been potty trained since nine months, somebody would have something to say about something. Mm-hmm. But you just have to know, like, look, as long as my kid is happy and healthy, I could care less what you have to say, you know, okay. so you just have to stand strong in in your views and your opinions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's it's not an easy journey. I, again, everybody's journey is different. So I want you all to talk about, um, and I'm, I'm going to go back to something somebody said in the comments, um, but I want you all to talk about what your individual journey was, was like and what part your village played in that journey and in the journey leading up to the diagnosis, right? Because, you know, for a lot of us, we speculate, we think, we don't know. There's some sleepless nights involved. There's some tossing and turning. Uh, so I want to I want to talk about what your journey was like and what your village was like leading up to it. But then also, what was your village like after the diagnosis? So Tracy, let's start with you on that one. Yeah. So I would say the emotions I had leading up was definitely the fear, the guilt, the shame. You know, did I do this to my child? Right. Um, I didn't want Zach or anyone to know uh, for us to share. I didn't want Zach to share with anyone. I didn't want anyone to know. Um, I just wanted to be like our family secret, right? Because I, I was on I was on my own journey of acceptance and, and understanding. At the same point, you know, we started seeing the signs within Adam, and I was thinking there is no way on earth that I can do this, God. Like you know, I remember praying to be like, I think you have the wrong Tracy. I'm Tracy with the E Y, right? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute! You told you told the Lord that. Like, like hold, hold, hold on, Lord. Check your spell check, Lord. Lord. Like, this is a lot. Um, and then it was just on the scenes where he was like, "No, I got the right one. You good? No. Right? Like, move no, no, like, with you. That's you, bro. With the Ewok. Um, and, yeah. The one with the glasses. Um, you the one with the glasses. You said what now? The one with the glasses. Right, well, the glass. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, but it was definitely a journey, right? Like where I am today is not where I was in 2016 when we first started seeing the signs in James Preston, and then in 2018 when both of our boys were diagnosed seven months apart. Um, 
But again, God's grace and the support of my village, having girlfriends that they couldn't understand, they couldn't relate, but they would listen, right? Having family, you know, I, as much as I love my parents, you know, my father still has his, his dose of denial. Um, but just my mom just being like, you know, and a supportive spouse just saying, he was always on board. Like, we need to go ahead and get him tested. And I said, no, no, what would it do? What would we do? He's like, but what does it not do? You know, right. not loving him in what way? Um, right. So it definitely, I would say my journey uh, has been quite bad, right? Um, and I think about what both of my boys deal with on a daily basis doesn't even compare uh, to what my journey has been, right? I'm, I am really a parent supporting them on their path um, and not really understanding what it's like every day to wake up in a society that isn't really fit for them, right? That isn't really thinking of their needs 24 seven and, and making sure they have what they need, the resources, the support to really get them from beginning to the end of their day, right? And it's really just taking things one day at a time um, I think early on they gave, you know, they thought James Preston, oh, he's going to test off the spectrum. And I remember holding to that, right? And it's like, yeah. oh, we're good. You know, I was very naive. I'm thinking six months max, we're off this spectrum, right? Yeah. And then it was, you know, every time, you know, if he was growing, he was developing, it seemed to be another setback, right? Those regressions are real, right? Like, you, like you're making such great progress, like, Wow, he had his language explosion. He was you know, fluent in words. My baby was putting sentences together finally. And then you hit that brick wall where yeah. oh, it's a new environment. It's a new schedule. It's a new routine. I've got to readjust. What was right. working for me two and three ain't working for me. It ain't working. So just constantly realizing, like you've already said, it is a marathon. It is not a sprint. Mm -hmm. The way we have to view autism is just that like I don't think we can get caught up in the oh high functioning oh mid functioning low functioning your child's on the spectrum every right. day will present a different opportunity for them to grow and further develop and it is what it is yep yeah I would I would say you know it's funny because how Tracy was I was kind of the exact opposite I was like oh I know my my cousin was autistic I got this I I know I know about stemming no, no worries. But then after that diagnosis, and then I'm like, oh, we got to go to speech therapy twice a week. Then she got to go to school. Then we got to do this at home. Then we have to, you know, her eating like that's that's a big part of it is her um, her food. Like we now have to find food therapy and things like that. And then I was like, at first I was just like, oh, this is going to be in the park. But then I'm just like, oh, OK. I need to slow down. This is going to take some time, you know? So sometimes it is hard. Um, you know, there's days I'm like, okay, we got to go to speech therapy. It's raining, it's traffic. But then I think, you know, I know this is going to help Berkeley. Just this one visit, you know, it, it really helps her. She's made a lot of progress. She's excited to go. Now she's, you know, I never thought that Berkeley was going to get on the bus. Berkeley, every time that bus pulls up, yay, bus. You know, mm -hmm. even her putting those two words together is a huge thing. So it's just like I can see it. You know, she's enjoying her teacher. She has no tears. She's never cried since she's been in school. So it's just like, you know, sometimes. And like you said, what 
what I'm experiencing is a drop in the bucket to what, you know, what she's going through and what she's going to go through. So, you know, you just, you have to humble yourself. You know, I, I really had to humble myself and understand like, this is, like you said, this is going to be a marathon, but I think that's where, you know, family comes in, friends, your spouse, um, it, it's just, you need that. I call, I call everybody my tribe. I needed that tribe. I need, there's going to be some times where I got an appointment. Hey, can you pick up Berkeley from the bus? And, you know, and, and with, you know, with a lot of autistic kids, they need routine, they need schedule. And it feels good for, you know, Berkeley. She trusts this person. She knows this person. So she's going to go with them, stuff like that. So you have to, um, find some type of community, you know, you have to find your tribe because you're, it's, it's, it's a lot to do by yourself, like single moms. And, you know, I just, I can't imagine, you know, doing this by myself because this is, it's hard, it's hard work. So you have to, um, even if it's strangers, you know, you have to find your community and really rely on them because you're going to need them, you know, even just how they approach your child, you know, Berkeley, she, she'll, when people, when our friends and family come in, they're like, Hey, Berkeley. And she's just like, mm, girl, not today. You know, right. she just doesn't even acknowledge. She's just like, yeah, no, thank you. But they know Berkeley doesn't mean anything by it. You know, like they, they're, they're doing their own research. They're looking into things. So they understand, okay, I know, you know, Berkeley, is not going to be like the kid, hey, you know, I'm so happy to see you. But they know, like, you know, Berkeley does little things to where they know that's her, that's her little thing of love. You know, if she says bye, if she says hi, or if she brings you a bag of chips to open, that means she loves you. You know what I'm saying? So you just learn their love, their love language, you know. So I think um family and friends are super important. So you you for sure should find your um find a find a tribe and lean on them for sure. Just even to vent, you know, there's days I put Berkeley in the bed and then I call my friend, I'm like, whoo child, today I was tired of being Berkeley's mama. You know, it, it wore me out, you know, so, but you need that, you need that person. Um, you know, you need those people to, to have that outlet to where you can vent and talk, even though they may not understand, but they're just open and willing to, to listen to you vent. So that's super important. Like my yeah. husband and I, Sometimes like autism won today. <laughs> yeah. oh. the right. best. I'm gonna use that. Like, autism one, parents zero. Right. <laughs> listen, listen. And you know, I, I even before um the diagnosis that we received, I, I've always said that parenting is the hardest job that I will ever have in my life, right? Um, and and and, and dealing with that, and we all have multiples in our home. Um, and and dealing with, you know, each child individually and meeting the other child's needs also. Right. So for Bree and I, it's like we're doing everything that we can do on this end to be sure that our toddler who has autism is completely uh, in, a, in a space where they are, you know, have everything that they need. That they're fine. But all the way over here, all the way over here is this team. <laughs> <It's> the <laughs> And you and you have to parent them totally, totally different. So right. I, I, and I think the importance of uh, giving yourself grace, uh, giving yourself compassion and sometimes, like Tracy said, letting autism win like you got yeah. it, bro. Like I, I, I ain't got nothing for you today. 
Like right. I can't. <laughs> right, right. You got it. Because, <laughs> you know, I think like with, especially like with my wife's personality, she's just like, you know, when we had tried for six years to have Berkeley, we were like, oh, this is the hardest part. You know, we've done all this. So I'm pregnant. We're smooth sailing from here. So my wife was just like, oh, I'm going to feed her all organic things. And she's not going to know what candy is. And, you know, she had this routine down that she was going to go. And then Berkeley came and she was like, girl, give me a bag of Doritos. <laughs> and a sneaker and ball. Eating chicken nuggets. So I don't I don't know what to tell you, you know, but you. So I think it. You, you're not giving anything that you're not needing. You know, Berkeley, we needed Berkeley. We needed that just, we have to let go because Berkeley, as much as we try to kind of put her in this box, like, okay, Berkeley, go this way. Berkeley, like, yeah, I'm going the opposite way. You know, so I think it it just teaches you, you know, um, life is too short to to stress about something like potty training. You know, like I'm I'm not, I'm not losing sleep because she's still in a pull-up. I'm she's happy. She's, you know, she's laughing. She's enjoying. She's saying two-word sentences every now and then. That's what I'm focused on. That's what I'm, you know, that's what I want to to be excited about. I'm not, I'm not gonna lose sleep over that. So I think that's super important. Um, you know, it's just because whether you like it or not you're not going to have control. So it's just, you got to either go with it or you're just going to be exhausted. You're going to exhaust yourself trying to fight against that, you know, go against the grain. It's just, it's not going to work, you know? And I think um, like, it goes back to having those outlets. Like I'm telling you, Dion and I, we would be in those dens and we like child, this teenager. And then we would vent about, you know, Berkeley, she ain't eating today. She don't, she don't want nothing, you know? So it was just like, but that helped, you know? And, and here we are with black people parenting because we're like, we know we're not the only ones. We know somebody can benefit to just vent, to just say, you know what, these kids today, (laughs) I'm sick of them, you know? So I think um, I'm super thankful that, you know, you end up creating this space for us, you know, by us because we need it. It's yeah. it's so needed. It's just to to break down those barriers and those stigmas just one post at a time. It really yeah. makes a difference. You know? Yeah, and, the, you know, these conversations are important because a lot of people don't know how to do things like advocate for their child. Right. A lot of people right. don't know that just because the school says that your child is, you know, this, these are the things on their IEP that this is what has to be there. They don't know right. that just because someone says, Oh, these are the goals. And right. you can say like, nah, I want there to be different goals. Like we can, right. we can, we, we have the final say. So I want y'all to talk about the importance of advocating for our children um, that are on the spectrum. And even if even the children that aren't on the spectrum, like, because a lot of the parents, we just don't, we don't think about those things. It's just, let's just send them to school. And we just want to accept whatever the people say, or right. take them to the doctor. We just want to accept whatever the doctors say. But I want y'all to talk about the importance of advocating for um, our young folks, particularly those that are on the spectrum uh, in the school system. Um, I, it, It's super, again, it's super important because especially with autistic kids, Berkeley doesn't, doesn't have a voice. So I have to be that voice. I have to be that protector. I have to advocate for her because if I don't, who else will, you know, there's, there's nobody that's going to advocate like the parent, you know, so you have to 
educate yourself. You have to learn how to do things because it's super important because if I was to listen, Berkeley wouldn't be in speech therapy. She wouldn't have got the autism diagnosis if I would have listened to her provider because she was making eye contact. So it's just, you have to advocate and go with your gut and listen and, you know, listen to your child because Berkeley doesn't speak, but trust and believe. She tells me when she's not comfortable with something and when she's comfortable with something. So you just have to really watch for the signs and just really, it's super important to advocate, you know, autistic child or not. I have to advocate with, with my teenager. She's in cheer and her cheer coach will, you know, ask something or, or are you getting, have you gained weight? Hold on, sir. Now, you know, so you, you have to advocate, you have to um, make sure you're, you're letting your presence be known. Look, you're not going to take advantage of me. We are not though. We're, we're not doing that. You know, I'm here. You're going to see me. I'm going to call. If you don't want to give me a referral, guess what? I'm going to keep calling until you give me that referral, because this is what I need. It mm -hmm. may come back negative. It may come back clear, whatever, you know, referral I need, but I feel I feel better because I went through it and it's confirmed. So it, it's super important to advocate. You have to, you have yeah. to. Yeah, I, I would say the school system is going to be one of those mountains that you just feel like every time you get to the peak, you realize there's another valley. Like you got yeah. <laughs> it's gonna ebb, it's gonna flow. And our kindergarten year was rough with James Preston. I mean we got to the point where my husband and I were sitting in the back of a kindergarten classroom five days a week. He wow. would do Tuesday and Thursday. I would do Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from wow. 10 to 2.15. Wow. And it was a problem on so many different levels that when every time I was trying to advocate for my son and say, like, this isn't working, we need to do something else, you know, I was quickly kind of dismissed or told like, oh, well, you know, I only have 20 minutes for a meeting. 20 minutes? <laughs> That's, that doesn't even the surface. Right, right. Into. And I think in the very beginning, I really did not realize the like, who really held the power, right? I knew he was my son and I knew I'm going to have to advocate for his needs. But, you know, when they said, oh, we don't have time, I'm like, okay, okay. And then it was just like, mm -mm. You know, No, you're going to make time. Right. I, it was like by that second or third kind of, you know, being dismissed, I thought, oh, yeah, we're not going to get dismissed again. Like, mm -mm. right. <laughs> you know what we about to do. Mm -hmm. um, and talking to administration and like realizing, like you said, those that IEP, like what is happening? You say you're supposed to be doing this, but I'm noticing this is not happening. I'm talking to James Preston after school, learning about his day. He's telling me he was restrained. Right. Yeah. On a daily basis. Mm. My child eloping from the classroom, going outside, getting yeah. close to like so many things were happening. And I think that is when as parents, you really have to do your due diligence to make sure you have your child in the right set. Right. Like you have to know uh, the kind of the realm of where you can operate in and, and what that space, what, what the resources and services are and really make sure as a parent, you're doing your due diligence to know you know, this school, why is this school um, best for my child? What are the resources? What's the level of training that the the, the teachers and administration have? How often yep. are you re-upping on your training when it comes to kids of diverse abilities? Um, what's the last time your special education teacher went to an autism seminar or a workshop? You know, asking yep. those 
questions. And when you see that hesitancy and that uncomfortableness, you know, that might not be the best, oppor- best opportunity or setup for your child. Right. Um, so I was, like you said, that, that advocating starts early. I mean, and I think that was one of the things that, you know, hearing the autism diagnosis not once, but twice, it was like, what? I'm like, one child, it is inevitable. Adam's going to be doing well. And as soon as I got Adam going, then James starts spelling. You know, you just feel like you're running for it. Right. Yeah. You know, advocating for me is, again, it's so important because from a a father's perspective, right? Uh, I'm so used to getting sideways looks with my teenager going into her school and people, people looking at me different because they're not used to a father coming in and saying like, what's up? What are we doing? Like, what are we doing? Okay. Teacher, yeah. let me, let me email you real quick to find out that you, to make sure you're doing everything you need to do and to make sure that you're on point. So from a father's perspective, it's totally different because they don't expect me to even have any type of engagement in, 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 you know, in the school, right? right? But little do they know when 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 this one gets to kindergarten and and beyond, if I got to turn a thing inside out, I'm gonna have to turn a thing inside mm-hmm. out, right? <laughs> but that, yeah, help, help me to help you. How we how we gonna do it? <laughs> right, what we doing? Like, we can, we can, you can take the you can go out through the window. You can go down the steps. Either way, we gonna get to where we need to go. So <laughs> let right. me help you. So you know, it's it's important, but I think one thing that I've noticed is that COVID has made it a little bit difficult for us to. And Bree, you and I, you and I were talking about this earlier. It's made it a little bit uh, difficult for, particularly when you have kids that have uh, therapies that they have to attend or services and things like that. Um, how have you all managed to kind of fill the gaps that have been created um, by COVID? Because you know, even if it's something as small as like being able to go out and 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 play at a park, you know what I mean? Like before COVID hit. Mason and I would go out to the park every Friday. And that was our thing. We would have, you know, father and son Friday. That was that was our thing. COVID came, shut all of that down. That means yeah. he didn't have any other any any actions, interactions with any kids his age. He was going to uh, a little like a little gym where they, you know, did tumbling activities and things like that every weekend. That was ended. So it's just like everything once COVID hit, shut down. And I, you know, Brie, like I said, I think this had a lot to do with some of that regression that I started seeing in him. Right. Uh, but how have you all handled kind of filling those gaps that have been caused by COVID? Um, I, I, we've been super lucky. Um, Berkeley started daycare during COVID. You know, she started last March. And so there was a lot of things in place that we didn't, we didn't miss as far as that, um, because I was, I was set on, I knew Berkeley was not going to do good with virtual, like speech therapy and things like that. I knew she wasn't, that just wasn't going to hold her attention. So, you know, we've, and you know, Texas is wide open. Texas like, they don't care. So um, that's that's another story for another, (laughs) but um, that, that helped us because we were able to take her in person. So, you know, they still have um, you know, different restrictions and things in place. Like with, when she was going to daycare, we weren't able to go into the school. Like we would just have to drop her off at the door. So that kind of made us nervous because we're like, what are these teachers doing? You know, mm-hmm. how are they interacting once they take them into the daycare? But, you know, we kind of have to let go and trust. And, you know, Berkeley did very well. We take her to speech therapy and, you know, she has to wear a mask. They, they wash their hands and things like that. And I think it's honestly helped because at first I wasn't 
putting too much pressure on her wearing her mask and stuff, but now she has to wear it for the bus and things like that. So, so now she's, you know, in the habit of wearing her mask, which is super important and things like that. So it really, it kind of, I, I, I don't, I didn't see any difference because we were still able to go in, in person mm -hmm. and she goes twice a week, but it's in person. So we've been lucky as far as that, because I know she's just, she, virtual is just not going to work for her. So, um, you know, we were super lucky to, to be able to still do in-person visits and therapies and things like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yeah. what about y'all? So for us, it was really, it was sad when it hit because Adam was right there on the cusp but he had just started doing those four to five words and I was mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. oh my God, we're there. And then COVID hit and his OT and speech went to virtual. And I felt like I was doing more work than him just right. to try to see Yes, yes. But like appointments, and I said, we're done. <laughs> Can't do this. This is more work on me. He's not getting anything out of it. It is irritating him and it is frustrating him. Yeah. Like, put a pin on that. Uh, but fortunately, we were able to still hold on to ABA therapy. And we just had to come up with really strict kind of routines and, and um, for our home and for providers to come into our home. So thankfully, his OT and his speech had to be put on hold for about, I would say, four to five months. But he was still able to have some consistency within his therapy through ABA. So he was still receiving that for three to four hours a day. And she would weave in some of his speech goals because, you know, even during those one to two sessions that we did have, you know, I made sure to go ahead and get all the goals. What are we working on? How are the, you know, what are the ways that we can transition into the home and, you know, and kind of loop this into the therapy he is, he is receiving. Can you break, can you break um, but down? I was very thankful that. Tracy, you were going in and out. I'm sorry. Go ahead. What was the last thing you said? No, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask you for in, in layman's terms, for those that don't know, because if I was someone who wasn't a, a parent of a, a, a child who uh, had been diagnosed with autism, I wouldn't know what OT was. I wouldn't know what ABA therapy was. Can you break down uh, the types of therapy? Um, just, you know, the, the, the main types of therapy. Bree mentioned food therapy earlier, which I honestly didn't know was a thing. Um, but let's let, let's kind of unpack the types of therapy that there are. Uh, for those who might who might need to hear about that. Yeah, and I would say Bree as well as Dion, let's just kind of, you know, kind of round robin. I can take yeah. um, occupational therapy. So occupational therapy, OT, is what has been helpful for both of my boys in helping them to regulate their emotions. So learn strategies that help them when they're feeling overstimulated, um, help them identify the emotion and then pair that strategy that they need to kind of get through their day. Um, so I would say the way his occupational therapist help us to understand it is just really to help the child function in their environment, right? So, you know, if James Preston or Adam were having challenges with food or feeding or trying new foods, we can incorporate that into their OT program. Um, uh, also, they work on their fine motor skills, uh, helping mm -hmm. James Preston and Adam make sure that they're holding the crayon. I wouldn't say correctly, right, but in a way that's comforting to them, that they're still able to write. Um, uh, within their 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 age range, um, those are some of the things uh, we were working on. Uh, kind of putting together a potty training routine, but kind of like Bree was saying, I threw potty training to the wind, and as soon as I finally threw it to the wind, that's when you know they took off on their own and was like, okay, I don't want to wear a pull up anymore. <laughs> yeah, I want to 
they say big boy underwear. So, you know, like mm-hmm. really kind of throwing that. But they really, you know, OT was has been very uh, essential for James Preston and Adam when it comes to just really, especially James Preston, and regulating those emotions, um, understanding his emotions and the strategies he needs. Um, and really the resources that he needs to kind of get through his day. So we know that James Preston needs that visual schedule and he needs, um, uh, Adam needs that routine to be the same every day. So really making sure those resources are in place to make sure he has his visual schedule, to make sure the teachers understand the importance of, you know, that you can't go to the water fountain three different ways, you know, in one day. Like Adam needs to take the exact same route to the water fountain and the exact same route back, right? That that level of routine kind of brings that calmness within. Um, the other therapy that my boys get speech therapy, of course, helping them with their expressive and receptive language, uh, their ability to respond and recall things throughout their day, uh, and their fluency, right? Being able to pair those words together. And for James Preston and Adam, they both learn pictures first and then the words uh, second, right? So they were understanding if we were able to put that on the visual schedule, what we were saying, but saying a bunch of words in a sentence, it was like the Charlie Brown teacher to them, right? right. But the short, very key, like go to the store. He knew, okay, let me get in the car. I need to get in the car seat, put my seatbelt on, and then drive into the store. But right. all of left out of this neighborhood and not a right. Left turn means we're going to the store. Um, right. ABA therapy applied behavioral analysis and I would say this is the therapy that seems to have a lot of kind of um, everyone has an opinion about it and I say for therapy just like any other kind of therapy that you would do for yourself or any other kid you have to find the provider as well as the the discipline um, that fits best for your family right so for us we do not see autism as something that is a, that you can cure, right? We don't think it's a cure for autism. We see it really as a lifelong disorder. They may test off the spectrum one day, but, you know, if they don't, it doesn't change anything, right? And ABA therapy has been one of the form of therapies to really help Adam kind of go through his routine and understand what he needs, Um kind of taking the skills that he's learning from, I would say really occupational therapy and speech therapy, a combination, and incorporating that into his day and social environment, right? So where a lot of the therapies are kind of within a private setting, his OT and his speech, ABA is able, they have a little more flexibility in going into the schools, um, your school allows, uh, the school and home and really kind of allow that child to kind of pull together their, their strategies and kind of put them in a, their social environment, if you will. Yeah. And like, for me, I'm, I won't say I'm completely on the other side as far as ABA therapy, but I am hesitant. Like Berkeley does not do ABA therapy. And Mm -hmm. I've just, you know, again, doing, doing research on my own, like I have to find what's best for Berkeley. At this point, I feel like I don't think ABA is the best for her. Now, who's to say, you know, next year, uh, two years from now, you know, we may be um, interested in it. But as of now, you know, I just, I just don't feel 100% comfortable with ABA therapy. But like Tracy said, find something that works for your family. And just with any therapy, always do your research to see if it's a good fit. Don't just go, you know, like once they said Berkeley was autistic, 
the her provider was like, okay, you do ABA therapy, you do this, you do. I'm like, well, let me see what works for Berkeley, you know, because I I know my child. You know her as a patient, but I know Berkeley as my child. So also you always have to, you know, do your research and again, go with your gut and see what's best for your your child. With Berkeley, our big thing, our big stressor is food. Berkeley lives on pizza, chips, and Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets. And we've tried to buy like the Sam's version of the Chick-fil-A nuggets and everything. It's it doesn't work. She only oh, it makes it the same way, the exact same way. They got to be Tyson and only in the microwave for one minute. Right. Anything, so, anything else is know, a wrap. Everything is trial and error. And it's a lot of things with consistency. And it's just so interesting because like she won't eat mashed potatoes, soft foods, mm-mm, but she'll, she loves yogurt, you know, so it's just trial and error. So like where the food therapy will come in is they see, you know, like just introducing ways to introduce different foods to your child and, you know, try to see, well, what, what's the texture that she really is just like, no, flat out, no, and things like that. So, you know, that's something that they can also do. Um, they, they offer it at the same place that she goes to for speech therapy. It's like a big, huge rehab place and they do physical OT, you know, speech and food. Um, so, you know, you just have to, to find what works for your kids. So with Berkeley, like that's, that's something like, you know, usually I'm a little bit lax. At first I was like, oh, she'll be fine. She'll eat something. But now I'm like, okay, we we got to find something that you're going to eat. But I did find like, um, you, you just have to find like things, alternatives, like with Berkeley, you know, with certain consistency, she won't do. So I found like this little veggie powder and I sprinkle it. She loves popcorn. I sprinkle that on popcorn in her mm-hmm. Doritos. I'm sprinkling that on, you know, I'm finding ways to kind of, you know, liquids, um, vitamin C in her water, things like that. You just kind of find to kind of sneak it in. Um, so our next thing we're going to try is veggie pasta. We'll, we'll see how that works. But, you know, mm. you just got to keep trying different things. We're going to use some like food coloring to change some pasta. Maybe she'll, she'll put it in her mouth. Hopefully she'll think it's not edible. So then she'll really put it in her mouth. <laughs> she knows it's not edible. So, you know, we just got to you just have to play around and try to figure out things and what works best for your kid, you know? So that's, um, those are the different therapies. Um, but I think all, you know, once you find like your little mix of different therapies and stuff, it, it just, it just all melts together and it works. Yes. Yeah. It, yes. And I would say one of the Facebook users asked, um, how old my son? So my son is, uh, I have three boys, the younger two are the ones on the spectrum and they are four and six. And they both started ABA therapy. James Preston started when he was three, no, four. James Preston started ABA at four and Adam started ABA at two um, because Adam had to have one-on-one support in order to go into his classroom. He just, he needed that much attention to really kind of help him maneuver about his day. And he was having a lot of kind of challenging behaviors, right? So he was scratching and biting um, kids. And so one of kind of the things that is just that kind of murky area, um, I would say within that foundation of how ABA therapy was really kind of born out of, was really in trying to change our autistic kids. Really right. And not kind of kind of make them conform to the way society should be. Right? right. And I think it has grown and it has changed. And it's about again you finding that provider 
that's able to meet your child where you are and what it is that how your family views the disorder, right? right. Um, so we knew that we needed assistance in helping Adam kind of stop scratching and biting. And it was getting really bad to, he was doing it to James Preston more than what he was doing to even the kids. Right, um, yeah. And James Preston had a really hard time. He was hitting himself uh, in the very beginning, right around 18 months. Um, and so like ABA helped to change that behavior and finding other strategies that were, mm -hmm. you know, healthier strategies for them, right? And, yeah. and not really just kind of trying to change who they are because I think, you know, autism is, is really what helps to describe them and what makes them so right. unique, right. special, right? So we, yeah. we never wanted to change that about them. But it's it was just diverting that energy. Right. Making those behaviors more functional, right? Like it's just not functional for Adam. To, he was flicking the lights on and off the whole time at school. Like, right. that's functional. So helping right. to understand what is it that he's getting from that flicking the light? Is he feeling open? Right. What time of the day is that happening? Like, all of those things were coming from the ABA provider because it's kind of based in that, that science and that data to be able to really kind of take the fullness of your child's day and break it down, right? So right. from the report that we were getting, we were noticing, oh, he's wanting more movement. He's wanting an additional, you know, movement break or recess time and being able yeah. to kind of incorporate that into his day. So yeah. um, I would say that we are big ABA advocates, but again, with the disclaimer, like right, right. the provider that works best. And for us, it's not about changing our kids. It's about right. making their behaviors more functional. Right. Yeah. And for us, you know, one of the things that was important was helping uh, Mace understand how to self-regulate. So when he begins, you know, when he starts going to school, he'll know how to kind of control those those urges. Right. So one of the things that we started doing through his occupational therapy, uh, we got him a trampoline because, you know, he would mm -hmm. spin around all of the all of the time. Right. He mm -hmm. would just like spin around and circle. I mean, he was just like a, 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 a spinning top. Like He would just yeah. spin, 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 spin. Um, so his OT, his OT therapist told us like, OK, well, you know, maybe we need to do some other things to help him kind of satisfy those urges. So we got him a, 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 a small trampoline, an indoor trampoline where he just, you know, if he, you know, if I see him spinning or if he gets upset, even it's like, okay, Mace, let's jump. And right. he gets on a trampoline and we jump 10, 15, 20, something. At one point, he, get that he, energy he, out. Right. At yeah. one point he would make it go to a hundred. Like he would have to get to a hundred jumps. If it was anything under or over a hundred, you would have a problem. So, but now he's kind of got it down a little bit. So if I say, okay, Mace, let's do 20 jumps, he'll do 20. Or right. ten jumps, or whatever the case may be. So, right. uh, we we you know we want to be sure that we are giving him the tools that he needs. So when he is in a school setting, because we don't want him to be put in any special aid classes, we want him to be like in the in in the classes with the the, the kids that are his age. But he has to know how to. We want him to know how to um, you know figure things out on his own, right? right? right. So there's a there's a little um, I'm not even sure what it's called. It's almost it looks like a it's shaped like a whoopee cushion almost. But it's a um, it's like a pillow that, that that they sit on that helps them, you know, with the fidgeting and the moving. Yeah. So, you know, he has a little desk upstairs. We sit him in that and he you know, that helps him with his with his urges. So our plan is just to get him prepared by giving him the tools that he needs um, to, 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 to self-regulate. So when he yeah. has those urges, he kind of knows what he can do. Like now he picks at his fingers yeah. all the time. So we got him these. um it's like uh, almost uh, silly. It's not silly string, but it's like a elastic. Oh, Berkeley band. has that. We just yeah. got that. So yeah. she's finding something. So yep. Berkeley, like she'll she flaps her hands and she get real excited, mm -hmm. or she'll mm -hmm. she'll mess with her fingers. 
So um, one of my friends, they, you know, they'll send things. And then we also have like this little, it's like a silicone thing and it has like um, buttons, like holes, and then you push it and it makes a little popping noise. Oh yeah, I've seen it on so, Instagram. I, I yeah, was thinking so, about it. That works? Yeah, she, she really likes it. And she just, we just got those, my friend sent them, but the little elastic things, they're kind of like thick type things. She loves that. Oh, she yeah, goes yeah, yeah. to town and she's that just different colors, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I noticed she started chewing her shirt. She would have like her shirt would be soaked just from sucking on her shirt. But instead, like when she got those things, now I noticed she hasn't been sucking on her shirt mm -hmm. because she has some type yeah, of something. outlet. It's just yeah. finding that because they just need to get it out. She just mm -hmm. she'll just start like screaming a good scream and she's just flapping because she needs to get that out. Like she's just like, OK, I'm overwhelmed. It has to come out. Mm -hmm. So it's just finding those little outlets. And like you said, you know, eventually finding something, an alternative so she can know like, OK, I'm not going to be able to swing these sitting in a classroom, you know, right now. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, eventually we lead up to where she's able to, you know, function just in class without, you know, being distracted and things like that or wanting to, you know, flap her hands or something like that. So, you know, it's just it's all about just trying, trying new things. You're going to find you're going to try do some silly stuff and you're going to be running around swinging those things, but it helps and it mm -hmm. makes them happy. You know, it gives them an outlet. Um, like you said, we have a, a big trampoline in our backyard and she just goes to town. We let her go out there. We watch her and she's just good, you know? Yeah. So it's just finding those ways to just get out that energy. Um, it really helps them. Decompress from our day. Right. Right. It, right. What, what is it that we do as adults that like when we've had a long day where it's like you don't want to be talked to, you just need that space. Right. Just relax. Oh, we have a question in the chat. Um what you got? Our, our biting, biting hair pulling, our biting hair pulling a sign. My baby is 14 months, and when she gets frustrated, she grips an object and bites without letting go, or she'll pull her hair. I plan to bring it up with her um pediatrician. Tracy, you want to tackle that? Again, if it's something that concerns you, absolutely. Like bring it up with your pediatrician. Yeah. Um, I probably, you know, take that into consideration with other things, right? Mm -hmm. Is that, you know, how is she with changes in her routine? Um, is she lining things up? Uh, have you noticed mm -hmm. that have there been any milestones that she was achieving that maybe she's no longer achieving? Like really take things in kind of like a full um full spectrum. Um and at 14 months. 14 months. Two, yeah. One, uh, one in two months. One, yeah. Oh, yeah. I would, again, speak with your pediatrician if it's something that definitely concerns you. Um, and, and just, just keep you know, an eye on it, you know, just monitor it, see, you know, see if it progresses, if it, you know, if she starts, you know, pulling other people, you know, just, just monitoring things like that and just keep a lookout. But, you know, like you said, if, if it's something that, you know, you're just like, hmm. For sure, bring it up. It won't hurt to bring it up. Not at all. You know what's what's important that I think that all parents should do if they have concerns about um, their child and about um, being, their child being on the spectrum. Don't get too consumed with looking up things on the internet. Oh, Ooh. please don't do Doctor Google. Please. <laughs> please, please. Let please. me tell you. Let me tell you because you your child will end up having gout. They will have oh, every, uh, <laughs> every yeah. disorder well, in the world. Heart surgery tomorrow. <laughs> just, 
from so Web and B. With the mattress, I was googling autism signs. Yes, you know, yes, yes. And then what happens is that, and those things get in your algorithm, and that's all that starts that's popping you start up on saying. your feed. That's what you start that's seeing. So psychologically, yeah. it's like, okay, well, this has to be it. And then you know, you gotta wait. You know, another two years or so before you right. get a full diagnosis. So you're yeah. driving yourself crazy. Um, yeah. I did that. I did that one time. One time I had some concerns when Mace was was fairly young and, you know, something popped up on YouTube and um, I ended up watching the video and it was just, you know, 10 signs your child has autism. I'm like, <laughs> Man, like he's doing that. Right. Like, oh, snap. He do that, too. Right. Right. Not thinking that like he's OK. He's only six months old. Like, what are you right. talking about? <laughs> like, what are we doing? When, when, right. Right. Oh, my God. My kid's breathing. They have autism. You know, it's just like, you know, come on. We got you. We have to get off Google. We have to not rely on Dr. Google. Yeah, we got to. Who is the devil? <laughs> yeah, because yeah. you go Google gonna have you thinking, oh Lord, I got stage four cancer. Yeah, I got yeah. diabetes. I got to yeah. get my leg amputated all yeah. in one day. No, we got to yeah, get off of that. You can't yeah. do it. So I, I just 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 a note to anybody who's watching this. That's a good little tip. Yeah, man, because I, I tell you, I, I had a sleepless night and I tossed and turned that one night and I was like, man, what if? Right. And but you know, it's just these things like and you start seeing and these things just start coming up like even right now. Like once I started posting this video or posting about who we're having this talk, every ad that I see on Facebook is about something relating to autism. Yeah. Right. There yeah. was a video that I was going to watch before we did this. It was a 37, 37 minute conversation that somebody had, had about that just popped up in my sponsor feed. So, you know, you start looking for these things and they start to play a role on you. Uh, psychologically, and Tracy, you touched on something. You touched on on, on self care. So I want to ask y'all, as parents who have children on the spectrum, how was that diagnosis um, impacted you psychologically, and what are some things that you can do um, for self care? I think Ruth said it when it's like find your tribe. Like you have to find that village. Um, get off the internet. All the things that I did not do in the beginning, but <laughs> now. I thought I could do it all by myself. You know, I didn't want anyone to know. It was you know, just just me and my babies and we were going to get through this. And that was the worst possible kind of perspective to have when it comes to something like this, because it takes the village. Um, mommy guilt is also the devil. And whenever you feel like, oh, my God, I just need a break, then give your, I always say, the grace, the patience, and the love that we want the world to show our babies, we it starts with us showing it to ourselves first. Mm -hmm. That's true. Like we have to give ourselves that grace and understand that what we are going through, other parents will try to kind of normalize it so they can try to relate, right? Like, oh, my child melts down too. It's like, really? Right. Did your child melt down last 40 minutes? And what is it? Was it because like again, yeah. the of our broke, like whatever, right. you know, something. Right. That is seen as small for us is really big for them, right? And mm -hmm. it's having that. But I would say, really giving your, yourself that that time and don't compare right. yourself to someone else's. Like I would see other parents, like, oh my god, she's she's a proud autism mom. I can't even say the word autism. I'm still stuck at saying, you know, you no, know, he has sensory processing disorder. Right, like, mm -hmm. right, autism. right. Don't yeah. My child, and it was yeah. like you can't compare yourself. You can't compare your child's journey. You are your own person. Your child yeah. is your own person. Really put that when you are starting to pull your the services together for your child, that is when you also need to be pulling services together for yourself. Yeah. Um, 
just to kind of get you through the, the highs and the lows because it is a roller coaster. And my yeah. husband was tell me like, why are you giving that person the ticket? Like you have right. the power to the ticket to get on the ride or to not get on the ride. And I'm like, right. you're right. You are yeah. exactly. Yeah. You can't, like you said, for sure. That's another thing. Do not compare yourself and your child to the next person. Because I mean, it's easy. Shoot. There's been times where I'm just like, why I can't be Kim Kardashian? I got this nice fancy plane and I just want to go to, you know, places and I just want to party with Beyonce and stuff like that. But you can't get wrapped up in that. So especially you can't do that with your children. You know, you, you have your child for a reason. You know, this is your child. This is you cannot compare because everybody has something. You may not see it, but everybody has something, you know? So there's, there are times where, you know, sometimes it's just like, I'll, I'll hear somebody complain. Oh, my kid just talks too much. And I'm thinking, I wish my kid would talk too much, you know? So sometimes, but you have to give yourself grace to understand it. I can't, I can't even give that energy because once that's like a black hole, you can really dive deep and compare and like, Oh, my kid not doing this and my kid not doing that. You know? So it's just give you, like you said, give yourself grace and love and understand like you are doing the best you can. You know, you, um, nobody's perfect. You know, parent guilt is real, but you know, and, and sometimes there's going to be days where like, man, I, I feel like I could, I could have did some more I, I, or I should have did another flashcard with Berkeley or something like that, but just be like, you know what, I'll do it tomorrow or, you know, whatever, but don't, you know, beat yourself up because it gets you nowhere. What, what does that do? Nothing. It, it, it does nothing. You know, that time that you're beating yourself up, you could be spending with your family. You could be spending it with your chit, your kids. So you have to, you cannot, you know, give yourself grace. You have, you have to give yourself grace. You can't play the blame game. You know, this is, look, this is where we're at and this is what we got to do. So like, let's make it happen, you know? So that's super important. And I think and, it's you know, important. Also, I would also Perfect. say don't chase what people are doing for their kids. Right. Like, you know, if this other family is doing a different diet or a special diet and you know, Oh my God, my child's talking or something like don't go down that path because that right. is their child and you don't even know what that child started, how they started out. Right. right. Like just be no, stay in your lane and in your stay journey, in your lane. Yeah. stay focused with what is best for your child and your child alone. Like yeah. you cannot compare or like, yeah. oh my God, she said ABA work for her child. I got to get my child an ABA. Like you right. just don't know. You do right. not know. Really allow the professionals to give you that guidance. But then, like Reed was saying, like really make sure you're advocating. Really make sure, like this is something that you do think would be beneficial for your child for the following reasons. Right. Yeah, and I think you have to be sure that you are emotionally available for your children. Right. You have to be sure that in the midst of everything that's going on, because this is tough, and yeah. it it can be stressful. It can be it can be uh, tiring. Um, it's a lot. Yeah, you know I mean, this you is this, this journey. Cup. So yeah. it's super That's important right. for, you know, for self-care and, you know, you go to therapy mm -hmm. and, you know, you have that tribe so yeah. you can because it it will exhaust you. It's exhausting. It's exhausting just being a parent, you know, and yeah. then add, 
you know, special needs and things like that, it, it can wear you down. So you have to have those outlets outside of your child. You know, there's going to be some days where, you know what, look, I I'm going to target and I'm just going to hang out. I'll be back. You know, it's just you you, walk the aisles. You, right. Just I'm just strolling down the aisles. But you need that outlet. You need you need that that time to decompress. You know, it's super important. Yeah. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of of therapy. I think everybody should have some sort of uh, regular conversation with a therapist just to, 100%. you know, to have those conversations. Just because, again, as black folks, we were taught that, you know, this is not something that we do. These aren't things that we talk about. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, and I say it again and again, like a lot of those thoughts and a lot of those things that have been passed down are based in white supremacy. Right. Oh, Though, oh. Right. Because we, we were taught like not to ask for help. We were taught uh, just to suppress all of those feelings and those thoughts and those emotions right. and to take the beating and take the right. offense. Right. And, 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 and trauma is passed down from generation to generation. It's in our DNA. Right. It's, it's, it's literally in our DNA and it's Hard. It's hard to fire fight against these generational things that's mm-hmm. embedded. Mm-hmm. It is it's a struggle every day. But as long as you're, you know, you're trying to, you're attempting, you're acknowledging that they're there, you know, that's that's important. But man, it's it's hard. It's not easy. And mm-hmm. um, you know, it's it's a learning lesson. And, you know, you, again, you have to give yourself grace because there's there some times where, you know, even with my teenager, I kind of, you know, she's shapely. She's a black girl. She going she gonna have a little booty. And I'm like, I don't want you to wear them leggings, but why, why can't she wear those leggings? You know what I'm saying? Like, why can't, I don't, I don't want to give her a complex about, you know, body issues just because she's shapely. That's just what it is. And that's just, you know, I can't, I can't expect her just to be 16 and just like, oh, I don't, I can't show my body. And then she's, you know, 21 and all of a sudden she's okay with her body. That's not how it works. So, you know, you kind of have to fight against that because I grew up, if you got on some tight stuff, you hot as fish grease and you just grown and you know what I'm saying? So it's just like, it's things that, you know, and I, so I, I still catch myself, you know, with, with certain things, but you just kind of have to push through and it's going to be so much better. It's going to be so much better for our kids, our children's kids. It's going to be worth it in the end. So we just got to push through because, man, our kids going to be going to therapy and they ain't going to have no Absolutely. problem. You Absolutely. know what I'm saying? Like, so and even if they do have problems, they're going to know how to handle them. They're going to know how to deal with them. They're going to know how right? to handle it. They're going to mm-hmm. have different tools. They're going to, mm-hmm. you know, acknowledge that there are some things there, you know, that I ha- I need to work on. I'm not going to, you know, just jump in from relationship to relationship because you got the problem. No, I'm the problem, you right. know, so. It's just those things that you kind of that's just an incentive to to keep going, to keep, you know, pushing through the mud of this struggle, you know, that roller coaster. So I think that's just super important. Yeah, I want to I want to shift topics just a little bit um, since we all have uh, black children and we all have uh, children who are living in this world of of craziness and madness that's going on. I want to talk about um, I want to talk about autism and the police. Right. Um, do, do either of you have any plans on, I guess, again, every parent wants to protect their child, but I think when you have kids that are on the spectrum, my eyes are open now that you have to protect them a little bit differently. Right. Right. Um, now once your kids are able to do things like drive and hang out with their friends, have you all thought about, because honestly I hadn't, I, I, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that, um, 
until we were getting ready for this conversation. Have you all thought about what plans are, are going to be put in place for how to protect your children from encounters with the police? Right. Because we just saw that there was a young man who was um, uh, was he I can't I can't remember if he was beaten up or, or, or if he was shot by a police officer. Uh, who, who who had autism? The man, uh, the, the the young man had autism. There's a story in Virginia where yeah. uh, the young man went to prison. He was sentenced to ten years for uh, I believe it was a a car accident. Yeah. Um, the governor ended up uh, giving him an early pardon. Um, so it, it's hard, and I think you know having a black child with autism makes it doubly hard. And that's not yeah. even a word, but yeah. Um, yeah. It, 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 it makes it harder. Right. So right. do you all have a plan in place for um, how, how how your young people are going to interact when it comes to the police? You know, I that that's a really good question. I have thought about it. I think, you know, the the more, um, you know, police encounters and things like that. And the more it's been at first, I was super naive. I'm like, oh, I'm worried for my brothers. I'm worried for the men. But now it's like it's not just men. It's never mm -hmm. been just men. So, you know, I'm you I, I am worried, you know, about how Berkeley would interact with, you know, police and things like that, because there's a lot of things where Berkeley is not going to just be super nice to a police officer because they're pulling over. Cause she doesn't get that social cue to like, Oh, let me just be on my best behavior. She's just, it's just direct. And that's just what it is. So, you know, um, I do worry. And I think there, that's going to be some conversations that need to be had. Um, you know, and I do talk to my daughter about it, especially my teenager, because, you know, before we lived in the Bay area, we lived in a very nice city, Steve, uh, Steph Curry lived there and, you know, it was all white kids and they would ask her, you know, did you like fried chicken? Do you eat fried chicken and watermelon and things like that? So there was super important conversations that we had to have about race and about police. And because, you know, they got in trouble. She got in trouble one time. She's going to kill me, but they got in trouble one time, but the reason that they got off is because one of her friends, their dad was a police officer and they knew them. But I'm thinking you're the only black girl in the car. If something was to go down, they're going to look at you. We can't afford. We don't know this policeman. We don't have a lawyer on speed dial. You know, those are the things that we have to discuss. So we we for sure had those conversations with Jada, my teenager. But I, it's it's going to be. Um, scary, you know, especially for, you know, like y'all have boys. It's, 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 it's terrifying. Yeah. Like I think about James Preston now and the way he reacts when he gets nervous, right? Like he, he's going to run. He's going to try to, yeah. see, he's going to try to get to where he sees his, his safety. Right. Um, I think as parents, we have to educate our kids, right. On, on helping them with those challenges, but also we have to make sure that we are interfacing with the police. And I know Color of Autism, they have this incredible program where they're really trying to bring the community and, and the police department together in doing these trainings, um, kind of autism education trainings and really making sure they're connecting with 
kids of diverse needs and abilities. Um, and I also read this article of this um, black mom who has a black son um, on the spectrum. And what she does, like every three to six months, she says she just takes him to the, the police station and reintroduces them. And, you know, to the, the, the old and the new, like, hey, yeah. this is, you know, this is this is Jim. And, you know, sometimes Jim reacts in this way. And if you ever see Jim, this is the number. Jim will, you know, like right. kind of this like informal uh, training and kind of introducing uh, her son. Now, do yeah. I think that's fair? No, because like, at all. Carolina, who has uh, a little boy on the spectrum, she doesn't have to do that, right? right. Like, but you know, those are the things that, as as you know, moms of color and and, and parents of color, we have to think about, right? Like, is yeah. that something that I'm going to do? Probably when James Preston is in middle school, probably so, right? Um, yeah, it's just it's one of those things where you have those emotions of it's just not fair, right? Like, right. why do I? But then you know that, I mean, as a parent and, and knowing the needs of our kids, this is right. Yeah. Um, man, that, 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 that was heavy because, again, for me, yeah, I mean, you know, you know <laughs> I, 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 um, I think it's important. I think it's important that we have that conversation because that it, it, it's it's time for us to realize that any person of color is going to have to interact with the police differently. Um, and those conversations that we have with our teens um, who are not on the spectrum, I think, you know, for, for parents who do have children who are on the spectrum, we have to start having those same conversations. Whereas 20 years ago, if you had a child who was on the spectrum, you wouldn't have thought about having a conversation with them about, okay, what do you do if you get pulled over by the cops or what, or having to introduce them to the police at a police. It just wasn't something that we were doing. It wasn't a right. conversation that needed to be had. Um, but it was a but conversation I, that probably did need to be had, but we didn't have right. the right, 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 right. <laughs> We have the evidence that we have today. Exactly, right. exactly. Um, right. So it's you know it's 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 a can of worms that we have to open, right? We have to look at what are we doing because again, the goal is to protect these young folks um, as long and as much as we can because there's going to come a point in time when we ain't going to be here, right? Right, and it's, right. it's just it's going to be them. So if if something God forbid were to happen to us, do they have everything that they need to keep them protected and to keep them covered and to keep them safe? Right. right. Because, again, right. they're operating uh, with a totally different uh, perspective. Yeah. So, and, and, and it's yeah. not fair. It's conversations that we also have to have is, you know, if me and Zach, like we're not here, who's going to be here to yeah. care? For them? Yeah. Right. Like, right. Those conversations aren't fair either. But it's just the, the fact of the matter that we need to make sure that we have our affairs in order for, for anything to happen. And have things written out because of the needs of our kids. Yeah. And it's going to mm -hmm. take someone um, and, and various resources to really make sure they still have what they need, even if we're not here. Right. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, so yeah, that was kind of heavy. If you got questions, feel free to drop them in the um in the comment section. I uh, definitely want to be sure everyone's questions get answered about this topic. We're talking about autism within the African American community since April is autism uh, acceptance month. Uh, what do you guys think that society can do to be more accepting of folks with autism? Um, I think just just acknowledging that it's there, you know, just acknowledging, um, you know, these these people exist, acknowledging that, you know, I don't I don't want Berkeley to ever feel like she has to um 
blend in or something like that. Like, I want you to forever know like this, I am Berkeley and this is who I am. And that's just that. So I want her to be confident, but that also takes educating your children, educating, you know, um, letting your kids know, Hey, um, Berkeley, Berkeley may not talk or, you know, so she just, just letting them know there's different types of children, all different types of kids. Sometimes there's kids that's eight that don't talk, but there's other ways that you can communicate. You don't have to just look at them like they just some crazy person, you know what I'm saying? So, and I think it's just super important us as parents because the kids aren't being educated because the parents aren't. So you need to educate yourself, you know, and just, just be, just be welcoming, be open to learning about Berkeley. I don't want Berkeley to fit in. I want you to fit into her world. You know, I want you to understand how she works, understand and educate yourself, you know, on certain triggers that a, uh, an autistic kid may have and be mindful of that, you know, um, things like that, just being aware and educating yourself. I think that's, that's super important. Hmm. Tracy, what about you? I would say we have to do more than just April, right? I think autism awareness and acceptance is 365. And as much as I love April and how we have our shows and, and you know, we, we get featured in our magazines and publications, like we need to do more, um, especially within our, our black community and our communities of color. We need to show more of the diversity of the spectrum. We need to make sure that, that our families feel informed, that they feel supported in their journey. Um, that they have the right information that they need to make the right decision that's best for their child and their family. Um, so that's what I would say. Like, let's let's carry the momentum from April into May, into June. Yeah. Like, what can we do in July for autism? You know, yeah. what are the ways that we can educate the community um, in the fall? You know, like, that's, that's how I really see autism, more than just uh, April, but really, again, 12 months a year? Right. 365 days. Right. Uh, because like we live it and we breathe it every day, right? We every just don't day. Have to on and, and bring awareness to it in April, right? We have to do it every day. We're doing it in well, January. Right. Doing it yeah, and I, I I agree with that. I agree with what both of you all said, but I'll take it another level. I think for me, um, being a a a, a new um, autism parent, I think for me, and just doing the research to prepare for this conversation, I think, you know we got to find out where the money resides. Right. And I think there needs to be more funding. I think there needs to be uh, more dollars allocated for uh, folks without with um, with autism, for services, for uh, intervention, for screening, for all of those things. So I think, you know, for us, for people who 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 who, who, who um, are near and dear to this particular topic, uh, we got to get out there and not just advocate in the schools, but we got to advocate in the legislatures, right? right. We got to be sure that we are voting for people and, and making sure that autism is on these people's agenda. Like when we go to the ballot box, like what's your what's your autism agenda look like? Like what are we talking right. about? Like what plans do you have? I got a child that's on the spectrum. Like what plan do you have for uh, for, for to be sure that they can graduate uh, with a degree and they have everything that they need while they're going through high school. So, yep. so like, what are we talking about? Like, you, right. again, the money resides in the government. So I want to know, like, how do you all plan on spending this year's budget, this fiscal year's budget? What percentage of it is going towards autism? Like, right. re, whether it be research, whether it be, again, whether it be uh, uh, um, 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 screenings, whether it be uh, uh, developmental uh, procedures and things like that for folks in low income neighborhoods, 
who can't right. afford or don't have the knowledge or, or, or just supporting like or with co-pays, you mm -hmm. know, speech therapy. I know for me, like it's not free. We pay every mm -hmm. twice a week, you know, so that's money and, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. So just, you know, low income families and things like that. We need those resources to where we can tap in, you know, to to have support. Um, to be able to take our kids to speech therapy, to occupational therapy, because that that gets expensive real quick, you Absolutely. know. So, um, you know, or even just different, like purchasing different um, things to help them with sensory and things like that. So, like you said, just where 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 the money at? Show me the money. <laughs> or the money resides. So, like I need where the I money resides. So, yeah, you know, I, I spent 15 also, years advocating for fathers. I'm sorry, Tracy. I, I, no, I was just saying, but also within our communities, right? Like we, mm -hmm. like you said, our schools, but also within our church communities. Because I don't know about you all, but the number of times that we have been shushed out of a church hmm. or, hey, basically like, okay, Ooh. I'll sit back here in the back row. You know, like right. it's not right. as conducive for our kids, right? right? So then, like, Having to go to church virtually, that's not new to us. I mean, we've been doing that before the pandemic hit. Yeah. Right? yeah. It just really wasn't set up. So it's broadening that level of education and awareness and really yeah. extending throughout our um, our communities. Yeah. 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 I think I think that's important. I think that's an important conversation to have. Like what needs to be done. Um, but what do you all think? We'll wrap up shortly, but what do you all think needs to happen in order for us to break the stigma of autism in our community? Because again, like we started off, I want to kind of end it like we started it. Um, it's 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 so taboo for us to have uh, a child with autism. We we just oh that's just their bad behavior. What do you all think needs to happen for us to break that stigma? Uh, and what steps do you think folks need to take uh, in order to break the cycle? Because like Bree said, it's, it's it's a generational curse that we don't talk about these things, that we don't yeah. talk about mental health, that we don't talk about. Uh, kids who may have special needs. Like it's a generational curse. Like if you go into these white communities or these uh, these Asian communities, they talk about this stuff all the time. Right. But for us, we try to suppress these things and we try to hold these things in. So I want to know what do y'all think needs to happen in order for us to see a shift? I would say more of this right here. Conversations <laughs> just like this, just mm -hmm. having the conversation, talking about it, you know, being open because I've always been, I always say, look, I'm an open book. I'll talk about any and everything because if, if I can help one person to understand they're not alone in this, you know, we may not have the same thing, but there's something similar, or I can learn from somebody, you know, by being vulnerable and being open. I think that's so important is to just be vulnerable and be open and have these conversations. You know, there's people in the comments, like I I'm ashamed or I've been nervous, you know, to even just acknowledge what I see. But I think having these conversations and just even just having this platform of black people parenting so people can see like I'm not alone in this. I'm not there's there's more people with similar similarities than not, you know, so we can all learn from something. So I think that's this is what we need to do. We need to keep having these conversations, keep having these uncomfortable conversations. You know, um, I think I just read something on Instagram. It said healthy relationships come from uncomfortable conversations. Absolutely. You have to have those uncomfortable conversations. And it may be super hard for me to talk about, you know, my child and the tantrums and things like that. But I, I know 
when I decided to to voice about Berkeley having autism, there was I, I got five messages within 15 minutes of somebody saying either, you know, I've been feeling like this. I've been scared. I've had family members that say just shake it off and things like that. So I know, you know, having these conversations may be uncomfortable at times, but they're so important and they're so needed. So it's just things like this. We need to keep having these uncomfortable conversations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've also different voices within the community. Um, because when you go to Instagram and Facebook, I'm telling you, you would think that autism is, is uh, a disorder that impacts your high SES white suburban families and these right. people, moms. And then you hear like learning about Bree, our sister, you know, Dana, she has a book. I meet Drayden. Everyone go buy it. It's out. Um, you can purchase it on um, Amazon. Uh, <laughs> but like really bringing in the, the the diversity of our voices of color. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's 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 really one of the missions that um, Black people parenting is going to be focusing on heavily, um, helping us break the stigma of autism in our community. We have some some other great things that are in the works. Um, I thank both of you all for coming on and being a part of this this conversation. Uh, Tracy, I want to talk. I want to talk to you about um, thriving on the spectrum. Yeah. This really, really dope project that you have that you have created this this baby that you have birthed. Um, yeah. Uh, let's let's talk about it. What is thriving on the spectrum, and how did it come about? So real quick, it came about when James Preston was transitioning into his pre-kindergarten classroom. He was having a really hard time, um, kind of regulating his emotions um, due to the number of changes that was happening in his environment. He was in a different classroom. He was in a different um, different schedule, different routine. A lot of ever-changing, evolving um, things were occurring in his uh, environment at school. And I thought as a parent, it's 2018. Okay, let me go to the internet and find out uh, what kind of app I could give him. Like he needs a device. He's learning so much within his therapies. I want him to be able to pull on it in real time and clearly, they've got to have a device for this, right? They've got to have some kind of technology or leveraging technology to help our kids. And it wasn't there. Um, and what they did have was a bunch of single feature devices, right? But I wanted something comprehensive, right? I wanted James Preston. I knew the things that he needed um, to really kind of help him regulate his emotions, understand his routine, know his routine, but also not be dependent on someone else. I wanted him to begin learning those steps of um, independence to, to really help him uh, function throughout his day. So I went looking for it. I couldn't find it. And I said, well, I will create it myself. I don't have a business background. I don't have a technology background, but I have these three letters of MOM behind my name. And I'm going to work with other parents on the spectrum to see, you know, to make sure this is what our kids need. Uh, so I started thinking through what are the features that would be really beneficial for not just James Preston, but other kids. And that's really kind of how we came up with our, our, our feature set of a visual schedule, self-regulation toolbox, communication portal. So this way, Parents, teachers, providers can all be on one communication platform and you can send, you know, quick updates either about how the day's going, how the session went, or any kind of information that you just need to share via quick text. Um, and also a rewards thing. As we know, all of our kids love to be incentivized for good behavior. But it's just the way instead of having, for me, we had about five different rewards banks all over the city, uh, therapy, school, and home. 
Um, and I thought well, it'd be cool, again, if we can make that a digital feature. That way it really kind of brings the kid in and really kind of keeps them engaged with the app. Um, so it takes that kind of uh, tangible uh, token economy system and makes it digital. So if they're having a great day in school, their teacher can easily put like one or two points within their, their rewards bank is, uh, to kind of in their path of getting whatever toy Happy Meal smoothie or whatever the child's working for. That's so awesome. That's really awesome. That's that's amazing. Yeah. So we have our beta, our the first two um, features is what we're going to launch this year for our, our kind of for phase one of the app, and it'll be the visual schedule and self regulation toolkit. So we are in the process of developing that. We will have uh, those two features done in mid July, and then we'll be ready to start. Uh, having phase download um, in the fall. So you do need an Apple Watch to connect it. Uh, it is built right now for the iOS system if you want to sync it so that way your child can have their visual schedule, their self-regulation strategies with them on their wrist at all times. Um, and then once we kind of have the success with this first version of the iOS platform, we'll then transition into Android. But we also have a monthly newsletter that we provide to our families that provides kind of snackable, if you will, content, easy, digestible tips and strategies to help families and kids as they're navigating their way on the spectrum. And for folks who want to get... Come on, Tracy. (laughs) (laughs) For folks who want to get that newsletter, how can they reach you and how can they um, just stay up to date with everything that's going on with Thriving on the Spectrum? Visit our website, which is www.thrivingonthespectrum.org. And click the button that says join the community, put your email address in, and you will start getting our newsletters. And that's really how you will stay up to date to all the latest and greatest things that's happening with the app. And oh. get this on uh, promos that we have upcoming for our app. Dope, 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 dope. Um, we're going to close out. Anything that you all would like to say before we wrap up this really, really dope conversation? I've got some closing words, but I'll let the ladies go first. Um, I just want to say, you know, thanks again, Dion, for just... Uh, having this platform and then also thanks to everyone that you know joined in and listened and watched and gave input and you know just you know you uh, there was somebody I can't see who it is to just say all Facebook users but one of my um, friends was just like you know they're listening in because they're part of my tribe you know just thank thank you to all of our friends and our family and everyone that you know keeps us sane or halfway sane, you know, um, just, I, I just really just thank everyone. Um, it, this is just something, like I said, just, just have those conversations, take this and, you know, keep it moving, continue on, you know, That's a fact. super important. That's a fact. Tracy. I would say like Bree was saying, find your tribe, know that you, uh, you are not alone. Um, the feelings of whatever you may be feeling, if it is anger, frustration, resentment, denial, um, know that you're not alone in your feelings. And and we, Brie may have been there at the beginning and then she may have had a setback, but she's right back. But I didn't start there. And just like the user said, we stand together. Um, we, we can get through this, uh, find your community, find your tribe and really plug in. Yeah. And early intervention and, you know, getting those services and getting your child tested. uh, It's a major, major key. It's a major, major key. When I tell you my son has made so many strides and I'm sure you both can attest to this, like from the time that he started 
uh, going to therapy until now. Oh my gosh, she's like a whole different person. When you see Mace on Instagram, like reading uh, the names of dinosaurs yep. or doing addition, he can he can do addition up to you know one plus ten, and then he goes to his twos and two plus ten. You know all all of those things. And he can he can he can count by Mace five. Makes get busy, but that's a testament to you know the 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 early intervention and us knowing that he needed he needed services and for me you know i was a stay-at-home dad before COVID. it was just me and him during the day and my wife would come home at night but you know we we started off early with flashcards and with puzzles and with all of those things before autism was even a thought it was just like you're going to be prepared for whatever this world brings you um so i'm gonna give you everything that you need so when the thought came of him having to go to school i was like school what do you right. What am I do with my day? What about right. school? What, what do you mean? That, that, right. No, 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 no. That's that's me. Like you, right. you, here with, you here with me? Like during the day. <laughs> so that's something that I'm coming to grips with now because you know, a school starts um, in the fall. We're going to have to decide whether he's going to continue going to virtual school or if we're going to put him in, um, in, in in physical school. You know. So I'm, I'm kind of like, what am I do with my partner? Like that's that's my that's my partner. Like we. We we hang tight during the day. What what am I right. do the whole day to myself? I don't know what to do. <laughs> so you know, early intervention is key. So if you think and you know you think something's going on with your child, go with your gut. Like Bree said earlier, go with your gut. Advocate for your child, um, and just know that you know what's best for uh, your young person, and just make sure that you're giving them everything that they need. Uh, thank you, ladies, for being a part of this awesome, awesome, awesome conversation. Thank you for having us. Uh, this is going to go up on the Black People Parenting YouTube page. Subscribe to the YouTube page. We only had two uh, subscribers as of yesterday. I think as of today, we might have 15. Um, so subscribe to the YouTube page. Show us some love on the YouTube page. And also, uh, at some point, this will be up as a, a part of the Black People Parenting uh, podcast. So you'll be able to download the podcast on Apple Podcasts, uh, on Stitcher, on Google Play, and all of that good stuff. So subscribe to us there. Uh, and just show us a whole lot of love. Invite some people into the group. We're going to have more conversations like this because it's needed. It's important. Uh, and like Tracy said, it's it's not going to be a conversation that just begins and ends in the month of April. This is something that's going to be ongoing. And we're going to be sure that we continue to fight the good fight for these babies. All right. With that being said, thank y'all. We will check y'all on the next episode of Talk About It Thursday. Oh, shout out to my admin. Shout out to uh, the admins of the Black People Parenting Group. I always got to show them love because they are the ones that hold this whole thing together. Without them, I would be nowhere. So shout out to Samantha and Tiffany. They are the admins. Samantha is the head of security and Tiffany is the uh, director of data. So they make sure all of those departments get taken care of inside of the Black People Parenting Group. So all right, y'all. We'll holler at y'all next time. Peace. Bye.